This podcast is brought to you by DrunkMummySoberMummy.com and made in association with HelloSundayMorning.org, changing the world's relationship with alcohol, one Sunday at a time. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Heaps Normal, the Australian alcohol-free lager that is just too good to be wasted. Get your exclusive free shipping code later in the show. Oh, the kettle's boiled. Great. Perfect timing. Should we get started then? I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Lucy Good. And this is Sober Awkward. Right, Lucy, over to you. Thanks, Vic. So whatever stage you're at on your sober journey, and Vic and I are at completely different stages, you'll know that life without booze can at times feel, what do you reckon? Awkward. Lucy and I invite you to listen to our podcast where we discuss the realities of sobriety, the good, the bad, the ugly and the cringingly embarrassing. Our honest and open chats will help you discover what it really means to be sober. Yes, we're here like a dodgy bottle of port from your nan's drink cabinet to take the edge off sobriety and together we can learn how to feel the awkward and do it anyway. What does highly functioning drinking mean to you, Alan? Carrying three pints of beer back from the bar without spilling it. No. <laughs> well, it's not quite the same thing, is it? No, that isn't really what it means, is it? <laughs> Poor Alan. We'll make him listen to this podcast so yes, he understands we're going to force his headphones on his head so he has to listen to us <laughs> droning on about alcohol yet again. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Lucy. Here we are again in the booth. Yeah, lovely to be here. Lovely to be here. And you had a birthday yesterday, didn't you? I did. I had my birthday and I just wanted to say, love sober birthdays. Yeah, nice. How was it? It was really nice. I struggle with sober Christmases, but I love sober birthdays. That's what I've realised. Yeah. It's like you've got control over your birthday, haven't you? And people respect what you are like and what you want. So I've decided Christmas would be okay if everybody else on the planet stopped drinking on that day as well. Yeah, it's never going to (laughs) happen, unfortunately for us. But yeah, my birthday was really great. I had a normal day. I worked, I went to the gym. Nice. But when I had my morning coffee, my oldest daughter turned up with a little cake for me. So I had a cake with my coffee. Lovely. I had two cups of my favourite tea instead of one. (laughs) Crazy days. (laughs) Bangkok nights. And then I went out with my girls for a lovely curry and then an ice cream and was in bed nice and early. My birthday is like my own personal New Year because I don't celebrate New Year because it's too boozy. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I hope other people out there also enjoy their sober birthdays like I do. Um, Why are you 51? Piss <laughs> off. <laughs> oh, sorry. Why are you 46? 47. No, in fact, you had to work out how old I was yeah, the other d- day. Yeah, we did. an hour. I think we had the iPhone out and we were doing, yeah. we had the calculator on it to work out how old I actually am this year. I'm that yeah. old that I've lost count. I've, yeah. I was 47 anyway. Nice. And yeah, happy with my sober birthday. Yeah, well done, Lucy. Happy birthday. And how are you, Vic? I know you've got a funny story to tell well, me. I'm I dying just, to hear it. I wanted it. to save it because it was, I actually couldn't sleep last night because I was crying with laughter in my bed. As you know, Lucy, I did an interview with one of the big news channels yesterday. Yes, I saw that on oh, the internet. Yeah. Okay, well, I don't know whether you read the whole thing, but I think nowadays when you do an interview for some of the big news channels, they have an automated system that records it and just uploads the content and I'm not sure that they actually proofread any of it because really? I think th- I think it's Goodness. like a, a dict 
dictaphone sort of thing that just prints the oh words. Oh, God, what happened? When I read through it last night, I was reading through it, and I was like, oh, God. First of all, I obviously the message is that you don't have to reach rock bottom to deserve professional support. The, the headline was... Mum reaches rock bottom. <laughs> and I was like, that's not what I said. So they already turned that around and made my story into something dramatic, which of course is my point, is that it's not dramatic. Yes. Then I read on a little bit further and it said my my drinking caused hangovers and hen anxiety. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? Like, I was scared of chickens. <laughs> I was like, what the bloody hell is hen anxiety? Oh, that is so funny. And then I read on, Lucy, and it was talking about, you know, when I wanted to get, you know, help for my drinking, it said, I reached out because I needed professional sport. <laughs> Don't. I was like, oh, yeah, I took up professional archery. It really helped with my binge drinking habit and tennis. You desperately desperately needed professional sport. I know. (laughs) I was literally crying and laughing in bed last night. It was the biggest load of gibberish. Oh my goodness. That's the danger of those interviews. So the danger of it. Like some more quality (laughs) papers, they tell your story. And my story is about not having drama, it's not about professional sport or chickens. Like, come on. It's not at all. But let Uh, me ask you, do you have a fear of hens? No, I'm quite friendly with the hen population. (laughs) They're my favourites, in fact. They got it completely wrong. (laughs) Oh, dear, I thought you'd find that funny. Oh, I'm glad you found that amusing. You are, you do, you are very easygoing, Vic. Um, you know, a lot of people would read that and be like, "Oh, they've got my story." Oh, wrong. I didn't care. There's nothing you can do about it. though. No. it's out there. And... I didn't care. I just won't share it with anybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I think it will. I did look at it. I, I sort of skimmed through it. Yeah. Really, I thought I see if it's gone on. It was just before I was going to bed. I thought, oh, it's gone on. That's great. And you know, when you skim through it, it looks absolutely fine. Yeah, okay, good. Finer details, and it's just another bit of information out there telling people that it's okay not to drink. So it is worthwhile. But they also took photos from my Instagram page, which were ones that were supposed to be funny in context with my blog posts. Yes. And I just, in one of them, the the main picture, I just looked like a sort of scared zombie or something. My like like got dead eyes and I'm doing a stupid face, which which had context with the writing. But when they shared it with this dramatic story, it just looks like I'm brain dead or something. I don't know. Anyway, we'll forget that ever happened. But yeah, I don't have a problem with hens and I did not turn to professional sport, support sport, to help with my binge drinking habit, just so you all know. Just to clarify for the listeners. And the other thing I just very quickly want to talk to you about, Lucy, before we get into this, is that my niece I spoke to this week who is doing, she's in her late 20s, she lives with her girlfriend in London, so they have a big party scene. She's doing damp January, which means she's only drinking at weekends, which is a big deal for her, so I want to do a big shout-out to Eloise. And I love the way she called it damp January. So she's doing mindful drinking because of listening to the podcast. So hello, Eloise, I love you. Yeah, hi, Eloise. Good luck with it. Enjoy your damp January. Yeah, and do alcohol-free February if you can. I mean, we always recommend carrying it on. Yeah, if you can. And the other thing I wanted to very quickly say, Lucy is that I'm going to a party tomorrow night um, of a a friend that I know that lives around the corner from me and I had a wonderful experience because yesterday 
the host of the party phoned me through FaceTime, you know, the FaceTime mm. app because you didn't actually even have my number. And we're good mates, but like we don't ha- we don't call each other a lot. And I thought, well, what's she calling me for? She phoned me up to ask to say, I just wanted to check in with you to say, look, there are going to be people drinking alcohol at the party. I have bought you alcohol free drinks. I just wanted to let you know that that's what's going to be happening. And do you feel comfortable with it? And don't worry, there's there will be other people there not drinking. And she had literally just phoned me up to put me at ease about the party and I can't tell you how much I appreciated that it was such a lovely phone call I said to her like no one has ever done that for me before and I truly appreciate that from the bottom of my heart so it just shows you know to just to have someone think about you in those situations it makes me feel less nervous about the event of course I'm fine being around people with you know I've been a drinker all my life so I know drinkers it doesn't affect me at all but to know that someone was conscious of how I would feel was really really beautiful so thank you Carly for that yeah she sounds lovely I want to be her friend as well yeah she's lovely well that is really good because I know that I've actually turned down um, a lot of invites similar to the one that you're talking about because I've been worried about the situation Um, and I wouldn't have turned them down if I'd had a phone call like that before just to say there are going to be people there that aren't drinking you know and I'm aware and I've you know how kind of her to get you some alcohol free drinks so lovely I remember when my friend James bought me my um, we, we ha- he's he's a real bubbles man loves his champagne or his sparkling wine and um, I remember when I first got sober I met up with him about two months in and he bought along a bottle of sparkling non-alcoholic wine and it was the first time anyone had done that and it so was nice. such a thoughtful kind thing yeah. um, it's only a small gesture really but yeah. we truly appreciate it don't we yeah it's about being validated. It's okay. I really want you to come along. You know, I don't want you to not turn up because you're going to feel uncomfortable. I've gone mm. out of my way to make you feel comfortable in this situation. And also to know there's going to be other non-drinkers there is a really good thing. Yeah. So what are we talking about today, Lucy? I think Alan gave us a bit of a hint there with his uh, carrying his pints back from the from the bar without spilling them, didn't he? <laughs> Classic. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't really get the highly functioning thing. No. <laughs> So in this episode, we're going to be talking about being a highly functioning heavy drinker and what and why it's not only a tad deceiving, but it's pretty dangerous too. So look, basically, I consider myself a highly functioning drinker, stroke pisshead, stroke alcoholic, pick your choice of words. Booze bag? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely a booze bag. Whatever you want, Vic, throw it at me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take them all. Hen? <laughs> yeah, hen, definitely. Yeah, happy hen. Booze hen. <laughs> Um, hangover hen. Mm, (laughs) Uh, For a long time, I was able to manage my life around my all-encompassing drinking habit and kind of pass myself off as a reasonably successful human being, kind of anyway. Uh, Yes, there was the odd casualty along the way for both Vic and I, uh, a lost finger here, a lost job there, but nothing that we couldn't laugh off. Um, And I would add it to my repertoire of drunken misdemeanours that made me, well, so entertaining and fun to be with. Um, And it wasn't until a long time later when things got so bad that I finally admitted to myself that actually my life wasn't functioning properly and that maybe, just maybe, it was to do with my drinking. That's right, Lucy. Until we decided on this topic of the dangers of highly functioning, I'd never really labelled myself as a highly functional drinker. I wore my fuck-uppery like a badge of honour, being the world's best pisshead west of the M4 Heston Motorway Services, <laughs> was how I represented myself. And I didn't feel like I was hiding anything. I was cleverly socially destroying myself. 
which kind of made my drinking acceptable. But when I looked deeper into this topic and actually called Lucy about it, I found out that perhaps my public form of self-destruction and I could hide my drinking within my friendship circles or within my family and pretend that everything was hunky-dory. It wasn't until I stopped drinking and looked back that I saw with clarity that my behaviour was in fact that of a highly functional drinker. I mean, I'm alive, so that's a sign I got away with it. <laughs> yes, you are. Alive and kicking and loving your professional sports. Yeah. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, it does take sobriety to be able to see that the whole highly functioning thing is seriously fucked. And there are so many levels to it, um, just like with the alcohol spectrum. And people use it as a way of not admitting that they've got an issue. Yeah, being highly functioning does not mean you are successfully burning a candle at both ends. What it means is that you've become highly skilled at masking your drinking problem to yourself, your family, your friends and the world in general. Just because you got your arse out of bed at 6am for a morning jog after two bottles of wine and four hours sleep doesn't necessarily mean you're winning. It could just mean you're getting better at ignoring the signs that you're drinking too much. The longer it goes on the harder it is to make a U-turn. Yeah, it really is. And in this episode, we'll talk about what highly functioning means and the kind of things we did which we thought proved that we had our drinking under control. You might recognise many in your own behaviours. And we'll go into more detail about why being a highly functioning heavy drinker is more dangerous than adding a big slug of washing up liquid to the water on a slippery slide. It'll make you go down faster and land with a bigger bump. Yes, usually an embarrassing bump too, <laughs> With Lucy. a big bruise on your bottom. Yes. We'll also talk about what next if you are a highly functioning drinker because we recognise that it's a habit which is extremely hard to break. The very nature of highly functioning means it's woven into your world and plays a large part in how you get through each week, day or even hour of your life. So how do you break the habit without everything falling apart? Stick with us while we explain. Yeah, Vic, I just want to go back to the bit that you said when we just read out that introduction, which was about how it took, um, you didn't realise that you were highly functioning for, for, for many years. And actually, we had a phone call, didn't we? Yeah. Um, and when you first phoned me out, you said, I don't think I was a highly functioning drinker. And then we sort of had a chat about it. And by the end of the phone call, you were like, oh, my God, I was. Yeah, it's taken me until like this yeah. week to understand highly functional drinking because it was so part of me I didn't even know I was doing it I mean how crazy is that yeah because you were saying well I don't I never really hid my drinking I was always out there letting everybody know I was a big drinker you know I was almost proud of that yeah and you didn't feel that you were really functioning but then I sort of pointed out to you didn't I that hey didn't you travel the world and you had bars you had businesses you got up in the morning and did markets you were getting planes everywhere like you've got to be highly functioning to be able to do all of those things yeah and that's why it was clever like we're just going to share now like our clever ways we thought you know the clever ways we hid the fact that we were drinking so much mm. like with our friends and family owning bars lucy was the you know, perfect place to yes, be a highly functioning drinker. I didn't realise that until our conversation. <laughs> but of course, you know, me being behind the bar almost gave me a sort of superpower because it made me look like I was the one in control because I was the one serving the drinks. But of course, I was drinking just as much as anybody in there. Um, I'll tell you very briefly, I 
you know, my bar history is I had a, a bar in Thailand. I had a, you know, a Rasta boyfriend and lived on this beautiful island. And we found a washed up squid boat, which we turned into a beach bar. And, God, you know, it was like a like reggae paradise. bar. It was. It was absolute paradise. It got washed away in the tsunami, that bar, oh, unfortunately. That's incredibly but sad. When I did the bar work, I loved it. But also everyone was always more drunk than me because they were coming and going. Mm, they yes. were nomads that were coming there for a night, getting as pissed as they could and leaving. So I... I always kind of kept my cool a bit. I joined in the party, but I always had to pack up the bar at the end of the night, fill up the icebox, do all those jobs. And I always managed to do those because it looked like then I wasn't as bad as everybody else that was coming in. It was my cover and I was doing that every night. And if there weren't people in the bar, then that was the night that I really got stuck in because I guess I didn't have anyone to to point me out and say, look, you've got a drink problem. But I didn't realise yeah, until this week that actually I was using my environments that I was in to hide the fact that I was a highly functioning alcoholic. Yes, I'm working and I'm drinking, but because I'm working, it's okay to be drinking as much as I am. Yeah. And I really wanted to point that out because I think it's important for our listeners to know with this podcast, we're not here all righteous telling people, look, we're so and we've got all the answers and we're going to share them with you. This podcast is really just our thoughts as they come to us um, and our conversations. The difference is with us is we've decided to record some of them. You know, we are coming to revelations about our own drinking, you know, all Each the time. recording, yeah. Yeah. And when we, when we talk about these topics and we prepare for them, we learn more about ourselves. So yeah. we're on the journey with our listeners um, learning about ourselves and recognising patterns and problems and reasons um, and all those things help you to stay sober and they're helping us as well as people who listen. Yeah, and the fact was, Lucy, throughout my travelling days, like we talked about, like understanding now, now that we're having this conversation, you know, I kept my head just above water, just enough. You know, I booked the next plane ticket yes. out of there. I turned up for flights. I held down jobs when I needed to. I didn't always hold down jobs because I was hung over and pulled loads of sickies and got fired. I mean, that stuff did happen as mm. well. But I managed to keep my nose just above the water level, enough for no one to notice. And that is pretty much the... You know, that is highly That's functioning. Classic drinking, highly isn't functioning, it? yeah. I used to work as an estate agent in London for a bit. And I used to go in, you know, with terrible hangovers and be running backwards and forwards to the toilet. But I would still go and do viewings and like kind of be burping under my breath or like yes. retching in a drain outside and then carrying on. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. We I laugh, just, but yeah, I, I mean, managed. I recognise that in my own behaviour. Yeah. And then I used to get in my car. I had a company car. I was only like 22 or something. I used to put the seat down and hide and have sleeps. and have pretend a nap. I, Yeah, put, put a few fake viewings in the calendar. Yeah. They were in the <laughs> days, weren't they, where you actually could sleep with a hangover instead of having massive anxiety <laughs> yes, and yeah. not being able to sleep when you're older. Yeah. So basically I was highly functional enough which meant I just just about had enough money just about survived um it wasn't till my kids were born um and my wild weekends kicked in because I couldn't drink during the week um that I had a consequence to my drinking and that's when my highly functioning really kicked in and I, and I recognize that now after our conversations Lucy that yeah when I became a mum um, I was a highly functional drinker but now I realize also in my past I have you I, also yeah I have had that behavior yeah Today, we're proudly introducing Heaps Normal to our sober, awkward family. Yeah, Heaps Normal was co-founded by four mates, each with their own reasons for wanting to reduce their alcohol consumption, which immediately makes me want to hear their stories, Vic, and uh, find out why they've decided to do that. Yeah, I'm intrigued. 
They're now a dedicated non-alcoholic beer company who are brewing beer without the hangover so you can create your own epic new normal. Their story is based on the simple belief that some things in life are just too good to be wasted. Yep, and as you lot know, Vic and I are partial to an alcohol-free beer when we're out and about socialising. Yes, when I can drag you away from your knitting, Lucy. Yeah, that's true. I do like my knitting. Yeah, and anyone, when they recommend an alcohol-free beer on our socials, Heaps Normal is always top of the list. Yeah, that's right. Um, And we're actually drinking their lagers at the moment, aren't we? We're giving them a go. What we've got here is their new product, which is very cleverly named Another Lager. Yeah, and for the past six months, they've been working hard to make something special. A classic Aussie lager fit for the pub, pitch, picnic or party, just without the downsides. Yeah, and that's what we love, Vic, don't we? Beer without blackouts. Yeah, and it tastes really yummy. We're enjoying it, aren't we, Luce? Yeah, I really like it because it's not like that artsy, crafty beer. I never did like those anyway with all those sort of bizarre tastes in them. This is just like, it actually tastes like a normal, down-to-earth, proper lager. Yeah. It's a great alternative, actually, for those being mindful about drinking or people treading the sober path. At Heaps, they believe that by creating great-tasting alcohol-free beer options, as a society, we will organically reduce the role alcohol has in our lives and share better stories. Yeah, ones that don't involve us regurgitating kebabs into wheelie bins at 3am. Yes, I have done that a few times. (laughs) In celebration of them releasing this brilliant new Another Lager... Heaps are offering all our listeners in Australia free postage and all their amazing products. Go to heapsnormal.com and enter the promo code SOBERAWKWARD when checking out. This offer is only available in Australia. Yeah, definitely do it. And I can see now why people always recommend Heaps Normal and why it's always at the top of the list on the group. Yeah, and I like their story too. Yeah. Heaps Normal, a normal lager for heaps normal people. And it's interesting because for me, when I look at, um, you know, our, our behaviour that we thought was clever at the time, it was actually highly functioning. I'm the same as you. I can sort of, you sort of pinpointed that time in Thailand where you were at the bar and you were working. So you were able to carry on drinking because you were also functioning in your, so that was in your past life. And now as a mum, it really comes to you. And I'm similar as well, because when I look back at my drinking career, um, of 25 years I was highly functioning the whole time but there's two things that really stand out for me and the first one is like in my late teens early 20s I had a really good corporate job in central London working in sales and marketing at hotels and um, I used to commute into London and then I'd get the tube I had to wear a skirt suit would you believe oh god that is old school man I know. I had to wear a skirt suit and tights, heels. That was what I had to wear to work. Never get away with that now. No. Um, you know, I'd have, I think I even had a briefcase, Vic, from memory. <laughs> Weird. I had a season pass, you know, so I, you know, people Did you have see... your cocaine in the little <laughs> holes? <laughs> of course. <laughs> um I had a season pass, which, you know, you, when you had one of those going into London, you know, everyone knew you were a commuter, yeah. you know, and, and I was part of that world. So I'd get up in the morning, I'd dress apart, a I'd race. get on the train with everyone else. I'm a functioning human being. How can I possibly be anything else when I'm doing this so young in my life? Coming home in the evenings after a day at work or a night at work, because I used to do events, it was a completely different story. You know, I might get on the train, the last train back, I might be 
being sick in the toilets. I'd fall asleep on the train and my poor dad would have to come out at midnight or one in the morning to pick me up from Milton Keynes. You know, Milton Keynes, end of the line. With um, the concrete from, cows. Yeah, the English listeners will know what I mean. Um, yeah, there were times, I mean, I remember once getting on uh, one of the trains coming back with some friends and we were really, really drunk. Thankfully, there was, I don't think, that, please, 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 I hope there was no one else in the carriage. But we couldn't get into the toilet. I needed a wee, so I weed in a milkshake bottle. This is in my skirt suit <laughs> and heels. Okay. Did you put the lid back on and the straw back in? <laughs> I can't remember. I'm so ashamed. Oh, I, I have tried didn't... to block it out for many years. I just thought I'd share it here. A little bit of, oh, sort of, of nice uh, getting yellow it milkshake. Yeah. Not <clears throat> banana. Flavor. It was a banana milkshake bottle. Funny you say oh. say that. <laughs> anyway, um, there was once a time when I fell asleep. The train pulled into my station, and I woke up a little bit too late. You know, when yeah. you realise it's the train's been at the station for about thirty seconds, and I was right up the other end of the carriage to the doors. So I got up, started running along the carriage. It was the last train of the night, so half the people were pissed on it. Mm. And everyone started cheering and clapping. (laughs) And I got to the doors. This is me in my skirt suit, heels, everything. Did look the part at one point in the day. Went to jump out of the doors and they closed on me and trapped me (laughs) so that I had a door on either um, shoulder. Like a sandwich. And I was just stuck in it. And the doors were going beep, 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 because there was an obstruction. I must have been stuck there for what felt like two years, but it was actually probably about two seconds and then the doors suddenly opened and I fell forward <laughs> on my face on the platform by which point and then the doors close and the train rolls out of the station everyone's at the windows cheering <laughs> laughing you know so this this uh, young woman who had got up early in the morning and looking gone, extremely looking part, highly yeah. functional at the end of the night that is how I would end up you know spread eagle on the uh, King's Langley platform <laughs> being laughed at by everyone on the train Um, another thing I used to do is I started going out with a guy who worked in one of the bars in the hotel and he had a fire blade motorbike Mm. and he used to give me a lift home along the M25 I was so pissed that I'd nod off on the back Mm. we'd be going over 100 miles an hour along the M25 once I actually so I've got my skirt hitched up you know I'm on the back of no protective gear I actually fell asleep and woke myself up by my helmet nodding forward like a nodding dog and hitting the back of his and it woke me up. Oh, that's so dangerous, Lucy. I can't believe you survived that. But Vic, the thing is, I was getting up. Then what would happen is I'd go home, go to sleep, get up, put the power gear on, go to work, you know, joining with the other commuters. And so I was hiding the fact, you know, it was like, if I can get up and do this all again, then I'm okay. I don't have yep. a problem with my, I, can, I can erase all that behaviour of the evening because I'm up and I'm on it again. It sort of changes um, the normalisation of alcohol in society to you normalising it to yourself. Yes. It's like, actually, this is all right. Look, I can go out and fall off a motorbike and fall asleep and be completely mental, but I'm getting up for work the next exactly day. Right. I'm doing well in this world. I'm functioning. My boss thinks I'm brilliant. It's okay if I, you know, puke into a yes. wheelie bin the next day. You think you've got this balance, don't you? Yeah. And then for me as well, um, so that was one thing that I'd really pinpoint with my highly functional. My next one was obviously when I became a mum, exactly like you, Vic. I grew up without a mum, so I didn't know what a mum was meant to be like, really. Mm. Um, I wasn't sure. I didn't have a role model. So I aimed for perfection. 
Okay. That was my mistake. Um, and I tried to be the perfect mum, which is impossible. In fact, that made me drink more. When I've spoken to my girls since I've given up and we've spoken about my sobriety and, um, you know, we were having a conversation about some other parents drinking and one of my girls said to me, the thing is with you, mum, you were drinking a lot, but you'd always get up in the morning and make a gourmet breakfast. Yeah, so they'd made it all right in their heads as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is that is spot on highly functioning. I mm. drink myself into oblivion, but I get up and I make breakfast for my kids. And so it's all okay. So I was living what I would call a double life between yeah. perfect mum, raging piss head, perfect mum, raging piss head. But that's interesting as well, because that's that party girl transition into mum. Like we don't know that we're supposed to change so hugely when we become mum. So of course we lean on the only thing we've ever done, which is drinking. Yes. And we know, you know, that isn't looked at a lot. It's like, actually, you know, there is a place where we should learn about becoming a mum, saying actually binge drinking and re- being escaping from alcohol when you become a mother isn't a great idea. But no one really says that. They just go, oh, go on, you deserve it. Yes, exactly. So no wonder you yeah. did that and no wonder I did that because, you know, it's been drilled into us since the day we were born that when you're stressed or, you know, have a drink. Have a drink. Yeah. And then so we're highly functioning, even if it is a binge at the weekends or every day, whatever, we are trying to function as parents, but because we don't know another way. And there's so much pressure on us to be these perfect mums yeah. and to keep up with all the other mums. I mean, I would, I was always so proud and I suppose I am still now that my kids never had had a jar of baby food because I made it all from scratch. But in order to do that, I'd be staying up until midnight, you know, cooking vegetables, pureeing them, mm. putting them into the little ice cube trays, putting them in the freezer. If you opened my freezer, it was a ray of little um, cubes, different coloured cubes. It's like a rainbow. I'd made yeah. all their food. There was always beautiful homemade food in there for them. And I'd open it and look at it and think, I'm doing okay. I'm look feeling good. Yeah. I'm amazing mum. I've done all of this. But in order to do it, I had to stay up till midnight drinking. Yeah. And also you just go, wow, I'm a real, you know, I'm really succeeding here. Yeah. Like, look at me. Look at this perfect food in the fridge and I'm doing the perfect sleep times and I'm following all the rules and I've been breastfeeding and I've done this yes. and I've done that. For me, all of that stuff was fucking boring. Yeah. I have to admit, Lucy, no wonder I needed to go out and get pissed and be high, a highly functioning drinker because that was not my world and I was just shoved into it. I mean, of course I wanted children. You know, you, you want children, but I don't think you realise that some of the stuff you're going to end up doing is really mundane. Yeah, very and monotonous. And it does your head yeah. in. So I had to be a highly functional drinker because I'd probably have left the kids by now otherwise. But Well, that's what we think, don't we? Of course yeah. we wouldn't. We would have been even better mums if we hadn't have drunk. But yeah, of I think course. highly functioning is something that definitely comes into play earlier on in our life, earlier than we recognise. Yep. And we, it took us both being sober and Vic being sober for four years to realise yep. that she was highly functioning. Um and but when you become a parent and we've spoken to two guys on this podcast and both of them have actually just said without us asking that their drinking got worse when they became parents so that is a really common thing and that is where the highly functioning comes in because we can lie to ourselves that we've got this but actually we didn't have it at all no so were there any defining moments when we realised our charade was up? For me, Lucy, it was that not taking care of my kids on a Sunday morning. I mm. mean, I was that great mum during the week, you know, with the perfect cotton wraps floating over the three-wheeler pram, the, yes. the perfect snacks, paleo snacks wrapped in recyclable plastics mm. and all of these things, you know, and bouncing down the seafront with my ponytail and my, you know... <laughs> A bit of a wanker, basically. Yeah, that does sound a bit wanker. I tried. I tried to fit in and be that person, but I wasn't. And then I yeah. was drinking and then 
then I had to deal with my anxiety, of course, on Sundays. Um, so being a good week, a good mum during the week, it really wasn't good enough for me to follow that through the weekends and I needed to escape, which was where the highly functioning kicked in. The main thing that my main defining moment for me um, was that my husband's face changed. For me then... <laughs> Did he become something a completely different, like a clown? No. <laughs> Did he turn into a clown face? No. <laughs> uh, well, you said his face changed. His face went. <laughs> didn't change like from one person to another. He ripped off a mask and say, revealed. How much did you have to drink? <laughs> no, he's my husband's a very happy, smiley yeah, he guy. Is. He's lovely. And what I realised was on Sunday mornings mm. he would come in and see me say, Are "You all right?" After I'd been out on like a mother's group night out, and I could see he looked sad. And I'd never seen him look sad before. And his face had changed from being this joyous, looking at me with love to looking at me with worry. And that was when I realised the charade was up because my my husband's face looked sad for me. Um, and he saw the fact that I was pretending to highly function and was actually falling apart, which means he actually was left with all the jobs to do on Sundays. He was doing the bottles, the bum wipes, the visits to the park, because I was lying in bed, not able to move my head. And I say I was highly functioning on the outside, but you know, after those big nights out where I was the life and soul being all fun, I was crippled with anxiety the next day. So I was not highly functioning afterwards. And that's obviously what led to me to get help. So yeah, people changing around me made me understand that my drinking was not highly functioning anymore. And that did lead me to seek professional sport. <laughs> professional sport, yeah. Yes. I decided to take up shop at... <laughs> Professionally. Professionally, yeah, straight away. <laughs> That's an interesting story about your husband because when you tell me that, and you've told me that before, his worry for you, and I think, you know, that really must have been, that, that as you say, was a turning point for you, whereas you've got people in these relationships where the 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 partner who isn't drinking sort of has a go at the partner who's drinking or like is upset because they have to do all of the work and is angry and resentful um, and there was none of that for you he no. was just genuinely worried and that was the most powerful thing I'm sure absolutely his silence almost mm. was more powerful than him having a go at me or saying you've got to stop this he never once said you need to stop drinking even though I probably knew deep down that's what I had to do but he never judged me. He just held my hand when I was having a panic attack. And he never told me or demanded that I should be something else. He just went with it. So thank and, God for John. Yeah, That's thank all God I for John. Awesome, John. Yeah. Well done. Shout out to John. But interesting, though, you're right there. The silence and the changing of his expression looking at me, I knew that I was letting him down and that changed Yeah, a lot. that was way more powerful than someone having a go at you and yep. saying, you've got to give up. Because you're automatically defensive in that situation. You're like, no, I haven't got a problem. Mm. No, I'm not doing this. If someone's shouting at you, you are obviously going to put your hand up and say, that's not right. But in this situation, it was very different. It was just the look in his eyes, really. Yes. And I didn't, I didn't want to hurt him or my child at that point. And I yeah. knew I had to do something that about it. That was a turning point. And we've talked about that before in another podcast about sort of the people in your world when you're drinking. If you're living with your partner and you choose to give up and they don't want to, you can't tell somebody to you give can't. up. It's got to be their choice and their time to do it. Yeah. So my defining moments when I realised the charade was up for me um, was 
Well, there were some a long time ago netball. when my kids were young. It was professional sport. <laughs> no, I put netball down because, um, yes, times when I should have noticed were um, I was at a, well, I can remember being at a sing-along at the local church hall when my kids were very young. So years and years and years ago, and I'd taken many things I shouldn't have taken the night before and also drunk copious amounts. And I had the, you know, I thought I was going to pass out. You know, when you suddenly feel oh, the you, all the blood dripping yeah. down you and you know you've got what you think, I'm going to throw up and the room was spinning oh, and I'm awful. sitting cross-legged on the floor singing, you know, row, row, row the boat. <laughs> and I nearly, I very nearly passed out or just threw up. Mm. I didn't, I was okay. But God, it was a terrifying moment and all the other mums are sitting there functioning mm. and I thought I was. Um, you know, when the kids uh, were a little bit older, we'd go to netball, a couple of times I had to be sick in the toilets. Other mums were doing it as well. Right. Um, so those were times when, when the game should have been up for me, but I just carried on going for, for years later. Um, as, um, you know, defining moment was was when I started to care less about what other people thought about me. Mm, dangerous. Um, yeah, dangerous that was that. a dangerous mm. thing, yeah. Um, and um, I, I, I think that's an age thing as well. As we get older, we care less. You're like, oh, I'm a drinker. I don't give a shit if anyone yeah. knows that. So um, that was something for me. And another real time when I realised that, that, you know, the game was up was uh, when my kids were old enough to see that the perfect pat lunch didn't mean that all was well in the world. Yes. Um, and that their mum was actually depressed and drinking too much. Yeah. Because when they were younger, you know, it was the little things. You, you could easily just do these little things on the outside and the kids thought their world was okay. My eldest daughter is 18 now. When she was about 16, she had what I'll call some big world problems. Her... Um, her boyfriend and her best friend um, s- s- went off together and she had some other problems on top of that and they couldn't be solved by a highly functioning lie of a, a mum, which mm. is what I was. I had to drop the act and drop the drink um, and I had to be a true version of myself to help her human to human. We and- talked about that lie a little bit as well. Like We yeah. were laughing about it the other day because me and Lucy did actually decide that our lives were a lie. <laughs> this was quite it's quite depressing when we chatted about it we were like yeah basically we've been living a lie for 25 yeah. years well that's not great yeah and that's it? what kind of highly functioning it is yeah. you, well you talk yourself into being something that you're not yeah and you, you you put on the performance yep you put a performance on my daughter said to me after she got through all her problems and she's really great now she's really come through it we were having a chat and she said mum I, I needed you sober. Oh, that's so, um, so, yeah, that was when I knew that I had to stop the highly functioning and be an honest version of myself. And another time when the charade was up for me was when my depression became unmanageable and I mm. admitted to myself that I didn't want to be on this earth. Um, and that was a time when I had to assess the way I was living and whether this lie that I was living could continue or mm. whether I was going to have to drop the act and be a true version of myself, even though I hated that person of myself, who I was at that yeah. time, um, that was when I had to make some changes. I think sobriety is a lot about facing the truth, the nitty yes, gritty, is. getting down to it and saying, right, lay everything down on a table like a pack of cards, I've said it before, and take out the bits that you want and take out the bits that you don't yes. and separate the piles. You know, you could even write them down, couldn't you, on little cards and say, like, this is what I like about myself, this is what I don't, this is what I'm going to keep and this is what I'm going to take away. Because you have to face the truth about alcohol when you're giving up and say, look, this is what it's doing to me. It was making you depressed and now you don't take your don't antidepressants take at all anymore. At all, no. That's the difference. Yep. That's the massive changes. So if you are 
are highly functioning, it is a good idea to say to yourself, look in the mirror and say, what do I like about myself and what do I not like? And face those truths and be honest with yourself. Mm. If there's no one there to, then do it yourself. Yeah, we've talked about that blank canvas before. Uh, when you give up, you feel like there's nothing left of who you are because everything about you is is involved in drinking. Mm-hmm. You've got no hobbies anymore. When I was driving down here, Vicar, I was thinking, you know what it's like getting sober? It's a bit like when you put your phone or your computer back to the factory setting. You take everything away, you turn it back on and you rebuild it as a new version. Exactly. That's what it's a bit like, isn't it? It's funny you say that. I have those feelings sometimes. Like I went swimming in the ocean. I do my exercise class in the morning and I always go for a swim in the ocean afterwards. And there was massive waves the other day. And the coach, Scott, hello, Scott, um, said, right, we're going to go out the back beyond the big waves. And I was really nervous because obviously I'm English. Mm. I've got terrible great white shark fear. Um, but I did it and the waves were crashing over me and it reminded me of being sober because some days you feel like the waves are crashing under, over you and you're tumbling around underneath the white water. But that day I stepped out of my comfort zone and I put my shoulder up. You know when you kind of mm, bash yeah. through the waves and when you're feeling those cravings and things, it reminded me of that. Sometimes you've got to stand strong and you've got to let the wave come and you've got to lean into yes, it to get to through it. Going, yeah. And you've got to keep going. It's funny how these analogies come up. I was just lying in the ocean thinking about that and I went beyond the waves and I shat myself quite honestly I was scared <laughs> I, I really yeah well not actually not literally a little bit of weed did come out though no one, no, no one would have known if you hadn't have just said it on this podcast <laughs> you would have got away with it Vic oh god why but you got through to the other side to the calm I got the- to the calm and I floated around and it was lovely and you know I was happy to get back on land but I fought through and it can be yes. sometimes about recognising your behaviours and understanding them and fighting through. Yeah, and feeling the feels, which are those waves, and yeah. knowing that in sobriety there is always going to be a calm on the other side as well, which exactly. there is with the sea yeah. once um, you've got through the waves. But unfortunately, perhaps in Australia with a few little nippy sharks. <laughs> yeah, maybe the blue bottle or something oh, yes, like, like that. Like the crocodile oh. or something or other. <laughs> you never know, you do never you, know. over here? No. So let's talk about why life as a functional drinker is just so dangerous. Um, look, um, for me... Um, I started and I ran a successful business. I travelled the world with my kids whilst I was doing it. I owned a home. You know, all the signs said, you're okay. So how could I have seen that I had a problem? Well, I mean, I should have seen because Mm. I was waking up with horrific hangovers. I was depressed, um, full of guilt. But what I was choosing to focus on was those more material things, such Mm. as the fact that I'd managed to start a business and that I owned a home. Um, I think another time when it becomes dangerous is when you're, you're, you're doing your highly functioning uh, sort of act for the benefit of those around you yeah. um, and you realise that it's all just getting too hard for me I found that I was able to highly functional drink so I haven't really got that phrase but highly functional drink I was a highly functional drinker yeah. for 20, 20 years of my life and then after a bit, it just became so difficult because I was drinking so much because I needed to drink more in order in order to feel normal, really. Yeah. And because it was so hard and I couldn't keep up the act for those around me, I just closed the door on my world. 
world to ignore the problem for another few years. And that was when I became an introvert because I thought if I hide away from the world, I turn down all the invites to go out instead of going out and getting blotto and making a tit of myself with my friends. I'm just going to hide inside and carry on drinking and people will just presume that I'm still functioning, even though I actually wasn't. A hangover for me was a full day on the couch. And I mean it, I could not get up off the couch. Um, It's interesting how you talk about that, like there was a massive change there, like you changed that drinking. But actually, that's the insidiousness, if that's a word, of alcohol, of how subtly you made that change. And that's what's Mm. scary within that, is that you made that change and probably nobody noticed. Nobody noticed. And I didn't even think about it. It Mm. wasn't like I thought to myself one day, right, that's it. I'm not managing this highly functioning thing anymore. I'm not managing to hide my problem. So from now on, I'm not going to go out. It just was the way it happened. It was a progression to that. And then once you're drinking behind closed doors on your own, you've pretty much had it. But it's inconspicuous. It is. And it creeps down that road and it's so slow that no one even says, oh, you're right, Lucy, I haven't seen you out for a while. Or, you know, why haven't you been down the pub recently? It's just they don't realise that it's carried on and you're at home. It's happened so gradually that I went from somebody who was always out and accepted every invite Mm. to somebody who never went out and they didn't even bother inviting me anymore. But it was such a slow change that not even my my closest friends, I guess they did recognise it, but they were probably like, well, it's not really our place. It's what she wants to do. She's chosen to stay in. But what I was doing was just carrying on drinking. Um, it was dangerous because you, it's dangerous because you become um, dependent on drink. It's an integral part of the performance um, and it can lead to a dependence, certainly on alcohol, of course. But for me, in order to carry on, I started having to take sleeping tablets, Valium and things like that because I drink so much. And then I'd get two hours sleep, wake up with a racing heart and then I couldn't get back to sleep again. But I had to get up in the morning with the kids and to do work. So I had to start taking sleeping tablets. And then there was painkillers like I was taking Nurofen every single day because I had a hangover and I just felt awful so you've got this dependence yeah in order to keep it up you realize that you're starting to take more and more things more alcohol than before Mm. and other drugs as well just to keep going whether they're legal or illegal well the problem is right there it's because it's difficult to diagnose yourself with something you don't want to be yeah Yes, it is. So how are you going to? When you're in that state, you're on pills, you're on alcohol, your mind's probably a bit, you know, all over the place. You're not going to be able to diagnose yourself as having a problem because you're not capable of it. So that makes it even harder. You don't have have the time or the the headspace or anything to be able to do that because you're so busy trying to get up and carry on as normal, get through the day thinking about drinking, what you're going to drink, when you're going to drink, and then nursing that hangover the following day. You don't have time to sit back and say, what is wrong with me? How can I diagnose myself? What is my problem? Because your brain is so numbed out. When I was living in Thailand, I got um, a bit of panic attacks again. I was living in Bangkok. I was doing a teacher training course there. I was teaching TEFL, part one chapter of my life, Lucy. (laughs) One of the many. You see, you've done so many things. I know. I was sleeping around a lot then. It was just like this free-for-all. I'd lost loads of weight and I just felt amazing and I just kind of went a bit out of control and because I was having to get up and go to this to study every morning I but I was still leading the Bangkok nightlife which is amazing so every night I'd Mm. go out and I'd get totally wasted meet some crazy guy and end up back at my shack on the Chow Prior River (laughs) classy class yeah but it was brilliant I was loving it but I would always manage to get to work the next day apart from one day Lucy the panic started and I went and bought some Xanax Mm. somebody told me oh if you're having panic take these 
Slippery slope right there, they Lucy. Are terrible. I fell asleep for 28 hours. Oh. I didn't wake up. I missed the whole day of school that I was supposed to be teaching in. 28 hours. And I turned up the next day and they told me a day had passed. You didn't realise. And I didn't even know. Yes. I mean, that is one wow. of my most frightening tales where I think, gosh, I could have just slipped into unconsciousness you then and died. Hours. I missed 24 hours. I'd woken up. I'd taken a Xanax and I'd been drinking. I'd been out with some guy. I was with him. We were in the same bed. It was one of those stories you read about in the paper that you find a couple dead in a hotel and, you, and they've, there's the paraphernalia around them that could have been me so that just shows that I was pretending to function and I was going to school and teaching kids and being this amazing TEFL teacher but I was actually getting wasted and sleeping around and taking Xanax and missing entire days yeah. I mean I have to say I made 20, some stupid excuse 28 hours of sleep sounds absolutely amazing to me right now <laughs> that don't do, do that's it that's my idea of heaven yeah, <laughs> yeah but it's yeah. not when your heart's just about to yeah. slow down and stop. I mean yeah Xanax are incredibly dangerous so dangerous. Yeah. I mean, it reminded me of that then. It's like, gosh, actually, addictive. how high, how highly functioning is that? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And yet you didn't realise no. until a few days ago. I didn't realise until yeah. right now. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So alcoholism is progressive. So it, if it does go unchecked, you keep going on those, you know, runs every morning to make yourself feel better. You might find that the track gets tricky and it will be harder to quit. That's the problem with this highly functioning, mm. isn't it, Lucy, what we're talking about? Yes. Is that the longer it goes on, the harder it will be to stop. Yeah. So that's why we found it so hard to recognise. And in the end, all you have is a pair of mucky trainers and that race might end in a rehab facility. Exactly right. And I, that's why this podcast is just so important for people because we didn't recognise we were highly functioning until we became sober. So we're yeah. really hoping here that we can reach out to some people who are still drinking and make you recognise whilst you're drinking that what you're doing is highly functioning and it doesn't mean that you're succeeding in life. It could actually be making your alcohol intake worse. Yeah. So if we can just get through to even one person today... Yeah. Yeah. who can re- recognise that in themselves before they get sober and stop sooner, then I would feel our job is done here, Vic. Yes, our job is done. <laughs> our work is done. Here are just a few red flags for the listeners to suggest that their highly functioning lifestyle is not serving them. Yes, yes. We thought we'd just mention a few of these because people might think, ah, oh, yeah, that's me. That's what I do. Think about when and why you are drinking. If it's to get you through the evening and all the chores you must do, or if you are using alcohol as a tool to perform any of your humanly duties, it's probably wrong. Yes, it very possibly is. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good thing to think about. Also, are you an honest and open drinker or do you hide your drinking? Do you lie that you don't have a hangover? I mean, I used to do that all, all the, the time. time yeah. You know, I thought that would cancel out everything if I lied oh. about my hangover. And everyone knew. I looked like shit. Um, or do you act in a way to prove to people around you that you have your drinking under control? So basically, are you putting on an act in any area of your drinking? Because if you are, it's likely you're highly functioning and you need to have a think about it. Do you put more importance on how people see you? and we include children in this, than you do about your own health and how you feel on the inside. 
Yeah, I mean that was that's a highly functioning as a mum thing. You know, yeah. it was really important how my kids saw me. I really wanted them to feel that they had this amazing mum. I wanted them to feel safe and protected and cared for. Yeah. And you know, ultimately that became more important than my own health, yeah. which was counterproductive um in so being a good mum and helping yeah. my kids. Yeah. Um another one is do you feel that alcohol has a significant purpose um in living a successful life? Mm. Like for example, I started an online business that required hours and hours of work every day I stayed up really late to work after the kids had gone to bed and I used to think I can't stay up this late without wine to help me do it I believed that the only way I could do it was by drinking mm-hmm. in fact if I hadn't drunk I would have got a lot more done and I would have been successful a lot sooner you just don't know it at the time you have do no you? idea it's at just the, time. the fog and you have to that's wait what till we're the trying lifts. to say now yeah. to people is you know have a think about these things that we're saying now yeah because hopefully we can make you recognize it sooner than us two slow <laughs> slow yeah. coaches did yeah. yeah oh yeah I was a highly oh yeah mm. <laughs> do you feel like doing exercise being a great parent going to work despite having a hang over eating healthy or having perfect relationships and generally having a success a successful life is an excuse to get blotto there you yeah. are that sums it up well it does you know it's about we think you think you've got the balance you think if you can get up and go to that corporate job in london in in the in the skirt suit and clip clopping along the platform and getting yeah. to work on time that cancels out the mess that you are on the way home that is not balance but no. at the time we were fooling ourselves to think that it was a good balanced yeah. life you make it into an excuse for dysfunction so yes. you use the function as like a weighing scale. You're like, oh, I've got this much function, so therefore I'm allowed this much dysfunction. Yes, that's and right. And it's like it balances out. But actually, why can't we just have the function yes, and exactly. ditch the dysfunction? Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. Dysfunction, we should, none of us should really have dysfunction. No. I mean, I think we all do as My humans. My bowel is a little bit dysfunctional. A bit dysfunctional. <laughs> <laughs> Did poo in the sea the other day. <laughs> yeah, which beach was that at? Um, yeah, look, we've got some tips here to help you slow or stop drinking if you're a highly functioning heavy drinker so if anything that we've been talking about has made you stop and think but you're not quite sure where to move forward you know you might be like, i am i am a highly functioning drinker but now what how do i get out of this yeah it's extremely difficult so the first one is to drop the denial and accept that your behavior is not healthy so something has to change and get help with that change if you need to so just remember you might be in denial so hard to see that but if you can if you can raise your head above the water just for a moment and accept that what you're doing isn't right even if it's just for a second get help book the gp appointment do something but yeah, get or the train, ball train to be a javelin thrower or, yeah, a, or a shot put yeah or archery whatever professional yeah. sport you decide yeah, that's on. really helpful advice yeah <laughs> swap to zero alcohol like heaps of course a few nights a week and compare how you feel in a diary weigh up the positive and negative effects of drinking which is what i said earlier weigh it up it really is is it really benefiting you in some way yeah and that's a good point um understanding how however you feel that alcohol if you feel that alcohol is helping you function you will honestly function function way better without it and that takes me back to thinking i had to drink to do the late nights to start my business now if i hadn't have drunk what could have happened mm. i could be a millionaire now vic yeah, it could be i would have it would have been a bit of money it, off it you. certainly would have been easier yeah i honestly thought i needed drink to function um, an idea is to do a 100 day challenge to prove this to yourself um, that you can do it um, and you'll see that life is easier without alcohol yep so true Know that highly functioning is not sustainable. You will crash and burn. 
Um, will you stop on your own terms now or wait until the choice is no longer yours? And the consequences are a lot worse and sometimes fatal. Mm. Reach out now. Yeah, do do it on your own terms. Mm. I like that one, Vic, rather than uh, somebody saying, yeah. <laughs> you know, a close friend saying, right, putting you in the car and taking you to rehab, not a good look. Yeah, or a sad tr- husband face. Yeah, sad husband face. Yeah, mm. less. Um, change your nighttime routine. Find different social alternatives. It doesn't have to be based on a dodgy drinking establishment. Yeah. Ask a friend how they feel about their relationship with alcohol. You might be surprised to find that ones that, ones that look like they love it are highly functioning and actually are the ones that are also desperate to stop. Yeah, and that takes us back to another episode where we talked about people who aid our drinking, our enablers. Yeah. You'll probably find that your friends and your family who also drink heavily, they're also highly functioning as well. Yeah. So everyone's, I mean, it was a case for me. We were all in a, we were all, all in, in it together. All in it together, living a lie. Yeah. Oh, Great. Yeah, we've got some tips, haven't we? Yeah, we uh, have. I, shall I start? Go for it. Okay. So we're not here to judge, we promise. Uh, we admit we were highly functioning heavy drinkers for most of our lives, but we'll also admit that being able to drink copious amounts of alcohol and then bounce out of bed at the crack of dawn and be all crazy happy was not a skill that we should have been proud of. Um, it was, in fact, our downfall. Could it be yours? Don't be too hard on yourself. We live in a crazy, unprecedented times, which are stressful for everybody. If you have used alcohol as a tool to get through, you are not alone and it is not something to be ashamed of. Lucy and I became high-functioning pissheads in the 80s, a time of peace and plenty. What's our excuse? (laughs) Please don't put yourself through the stress of pretending you're coping with your drinking if you're not. Talk to a friend, family member or your GP or your local coach at your sports centre. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that. Yeah. Oh, you never know. You never know. Yeah, actually, professional sport would probably help. He might... (laughs) Might do, might a local coach might be a highly functioning drinker. I mean, a lot of people are, yeah. aren't they? Let's face it. Um, have a think about the red flags Rick and I have shared. Being a highly functioning drinker is so dangerous as it could mask that you have a problem with drinking even to yourself. And that's the key, isn't it? We're, we're masking it. Um, we're pretending to ourselves as well as everybody around us. Yeah. What's the point in being hugely accessible at work? Um, as a parent or in any other area, if you're drinking yourself to death on the sidelines, you can be even more successful without booze. We promise. I like all these promises we make, Lucy. Yeah. Maybe I hope somebody never comes back and say, you promised you promise. me you do. But I mean, you know, is, yeah. that, is that too much to promise that life is better without booze? No, that is not too much to promise. It's not, is no. it? I pinky promise that, Lucy. Okay, I'll, I'll stand with you. Okay, good. Know that although you think you're putting on an Oscar wing performance, it is likely you are not fooling those close to you and that in turn could be causing them stress and worry, even young kids. Is that really how you want your loved ones to feel about you? Or will you let them in, fess up and work through your booze issues openly? Yeah, we shouldn't be lying to our loved ones, should we? No. Should we? Um, well, even about the limp balls that I stole out of the fridge last oh, night. Oh, no, that one's... Said that's that, a, oh, that's said that okay. the dog had eaten them. That's okay. Okay, those, <laughs> those little white <laughs> the lies. The dog's eating them. Yeah. <laughs> I was eating grass in the morning. <laughs> um, we feel the term highly functioning is a contemporary way of saying burning the candle at both ends. It may work for a bit, but it doesn't work long term and you will get burnt. Instead, blow out the flames, reassess, get support. Hey, and maybe next time, instead of a candle, get fairy lights. 
just because we think fairy lights are cool. They are cool, aren't they, Viv? Yeah, fairy lights look nice anywhere. They make me happy. Yeah, me too. If you're listening to this and you're already sober, then this is your chance to shine. You might know someone that is a highly functional drinker, so you are now able to recognise these traits and help. The first thing you could do is send them this podcast. Then go for a coffee, talk about alcohol. Don't be shy. Tell them about a 30 or 100 day challenge and offer to do it with them. Show them it's okay to be social without alcohol. Sometimes people need a mentor, someone to show them that not drinking is actually a possibility. Mm, Yeah, great. So get sober awkward people, have those conversations and make the act of saying no to booze okay. This will stop the functional drinkers in their tracks, make them think and maybe even change and get the support and have a better life. I mean, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It really is, yeah. Um, and we've got we've got a quote here, Vic, yeah. I think, haven't we? Yeah, you go for it, Lucy. Oh, so, all right, our quote is by Glennon Doyle, um, and it is, people who need help sometimes look a lot like people who don't need help. Yeah, yes, very that's so true. true, isn't it? Yeah. The book of the week this week is Girl Walks Out of a Bar by Lisa A. Smith. Um, I've read this. It is brilliant. This is not an unusual story, but it's one of strength. It tells how Lisa, a New York lawyer, became a high-functioning alcoholic with an emphasis on the high, who fooled not only her colleagues but her family and friends about her reliance on drugs. After 10 years of addiction, mornings began with breakfast, tipples and cocaine. She knew that if she didn't stop, she would soon be dead. So a perfect example of a highly functional drinker in that book that, that needs sounds, to change. Yes, sounds exactly like me. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> you could have read that about me. Yeah. Um, and look, and also we just want to mention to download the Hello Sunday Morning app, which is called Daybreak. Um, it's free to all Australians and it's a great tool for helping you understand who you are and where you fit into this big world of sobriety. We promise you will fit in somewhere and it will be as oddly comforting as this podcast is. Yes, I do find you quite oddly comforting, Lucy. <laughs> do why that is? I no one know. else does. No. I, put, I put everybody else on edge. Should we go off and have a little bit of a cuddle? Um, you Come haven't on. shat yourself, have you? <laughs> <laughs> I have a little bit. I got a bit excited. I might turn it down then. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Sober Awkward podcast. If alcohol is affecting your life in a negative way, if you're struggling to moderate or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for help. Contact your local doctor, a therapist or connect with your local AA or sobriety group. Vic's got one. Yes, go onto Facebook and just search Drunk Mummy, Sober Mummy, the group. Lucy and I both agree that even though this journey can be awkward, it's definitely worth it. And if we can do it, you can too. For more support on sobriety, head to Vic's website, drunkmummysobermummy.com. And Lucy runs an online space to support and inspire single mums. Find out more at beanstockmums.com.au. Finally, if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to follow, subscribe, review and share it with your mates. Don't make it sound like they have to, though. No, they do have to. I'm not doing all this for nothing, Lucy. No.